Dietmar Hopps and the RB Leipzig of the world have ruined professional football and turned it into a rotten money game. However, amateur football offers a sanctuary for those who are sick to their stomach by what has been going on in the Bundesliga over the last few years. But is that picture we have created of amateur football as something based on passion and love for the game and nothing else but that? Maybe a notion we have created without looking closely enough at what actually is going on behind closed doors in that part of the football world. Well, that is what we're here to discuss on an all-new Talking Foosball Extra. My name is Nick Wiltang and joining me today is Arne Steinberg, who is one of the journalists who has worked on a documentary focusing on this very topic for the German broadcaster ARD. Welcome back to the show, Arne. Hey, thanks for having me. I think it's a really great topic because, you know, as, as I said to you before we started recording, amateur football has sort of been lifted up into the skies as something that is sort of like the last sanctuary of the football romantic now that Max Kruse has joined Wolfsburg. But you and a team of researchers, you were wondering how much money was paid out to players in Germany's amateur leagues. Now, those of our listeners who have been listening to speeches by German football officials regarding German football amateurism and know their German football history, know that the fact that the Bundesliga wasn't started before 1963 and that all of the German game was amateur until then. You know, you sort of get the picture of the amateur status being put a bit on a pedestal. But when you were sort of digging into this sort of what you might consider unsavory topic, what sort of answers did you find? Well, one of the most important answers to this question is that amateur football in Germany is one of the biggest and most well-organized projects that this country has to offer. So you have you have it everywhere, uh, in all parts of the country. Even in the smallest villages, um, there are amateur clubs that uh, take part in uh, competitions that are organized by the uh, regional football federations. So this is something good at the beginning. So this is something that, that helps um, football. This is something that helps community and something that helps um, society as a whole because the uh, DFB, so the um, Football Federation in Germany, has more than 7 million members and it's a huge, huge organization. So a lot of different interests, a lot of different uh, ideas and conceptions, but the common sense for everybody is that amateur football is sacred. And we wondered whether we can... Yeah, sign this because from my perspective and from my experience, from everything that I've heard, is that the black market for employment in amateur football is big and there's a lot of black money being paid. So we tried to deliver for the first time a um, sustainable set of data. So um, statistics and numbers when it comes to whole Germany, because there has been regional reporting on this topic. There has been discussion, but not on a nationwide scale. So this is something that we tried to do. And um, for that, we started doing the research. So uh, yeah, I think the answers that were mostly results of this research, of this research, they have to be discussed and they have to be answered by yeah, the clubs, the players, um, the federations, but also um, yeah, German government. Yeah, so how did you go about finding out about, you know, what players were sort of earning and, and such within amateur football? I mean, how did you collect your data? 
We started doing a survey in October 2020, and this survey was um, open for participation for uh, three months. So um, we had a couple of questions in this survey where we uh, uh, tried to um, get information on the players and the uh, league divisions they're playing in, so what uh, what level they play in and what money they get, and most importantly, what kind of money they get. If they get black money, if they get paid by the um, method of the amateur contract, which is the um, yeah the conception that DFB uses for talking about this. So the participation possibilities for the players were twofold. So they could have they were able to participate anonymously. So they were able to give us information on how much money they are being paid without uh, leaving their name. And at the same time, there were uh, a lot of players that left their names and contact credentials. So we were able to contact them later. And with all these telephone numbers we had, we tried to uh, call as many people as possible. And during that part of the research, we encountered a lot of people that, you know, um, think about amateur football a lot and they criticized the system and they said, okay, it's very good that you guys uh, try to research this topic for the first time because it's really annoying and it's happening everywhere. And we tried to prove that by delivering the statistics and the information we could gather with our research. So if you go by the DFB statues, an amateur is allowed to be paid 250 euros, right? Mm -hmm. But how much were players from the fifth division downwards actually paid? I mean, what, what sort of salaries did you uncover in those lower divisions? I mean, you would expect these players just to be there for the love of the game, right? Yeah, not really. I mean, um, the love of the game is something that is put forward for um, yeah, PR reasons mostly, but uh, the financial interests of the players, I think they have to be, they have to be talked about as well because they're important and when we tried to yeah, analyze the data that we had, we were really astonished by the high sums of money being paid. So, for example, in um, the fifth division, so we've got like, I don't know, maybe 20 different um, leagues on that level in Germany. Players are getting paid on average 500 euros per month. So this is just like big, big sum of money that is only being paid for uh, playing football on an amateur level. But that's the so, average sum. I mean, so the basically lower earners and higher earners in that bracket, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. So we know we know that there are players that are getting four-digit sums every every month for playing um, football on amateur level uh, in Germany. So this is a reality. And of course, if you're getting paid for something, that's not illegal. So we have to discuss the the different methods that come into place here. So um, as you mentioned, there is the possibility of setting up a contract between a club and a player, and then the player can earn more than 250 euros per month. And at the same time, the club has to pay um, taxes. And obviously, this is something that um, DFB puts forward when it comes to the external communication. They always say, Look, there's this way which with you can pay players with. So this is a possibility that you can use. But we saw that a lot of clubs don't make use of it. So they uh, try to come up with more creative methods of um, getting the money to the player. Because as we all know, if you sign an official contract and if you have to pay taxes, 
then obviously it is more money that you have to uh, yeah that you have to spend. So um, most of the time the clubs they give the money directly to the player. So it is black market employment if you like. So um, there's no official contract. There's no taxes being paid. And the money is um, being paid in cash to the player. So this happens. This is a reality. And my perspective on this is that a lot of DFB officials know that this practice exists, but they don't have any way on how to fight this uh, method and this way of paying players. Right. I mean, in your documentary, you show you actually have sort of a guy who works a hidden camera, a good player, who you send around to different clubs to see what he's getting. And he's, I think I jotted down that he was offered 900 euros by an eighth tier side, all paid in cash. Yeah, yeah, at the maximum. So this is um, a club that plays in the eighth division in Germany. So in a region with um, a lot of industrial power behind, let's say. So um, the clubs, they have a lot of sponsors. They have a lot of um, people that give money to the clubs. So um, they are able to pay that amount of money to to their players. So the thing about this negotiation that we had in the documentary was that the player didn't even have to train or play. All they did was Googling him and they saw, okay, this guy, he's able to to help our team. And yeah, then they then they said, listen, if you want to play for us, then you get your money in cash and it can be 500, can be 700, but can be 900 as well. So uh, what we learned here was that this is a common practice. And even if you go way, way, way down in the league pyramid in Germany, then you can be paid this amount of money. Yeah, there are some other creative ways of getting you know, money or channeling other goods to some of those players. I mean, what, what were the most creative ways of paying your players you found when you were researching this? Yeah, we were asking um, this question in the survey too. So uh, one out of five players um, made use of services or goods that were given to him because he played football for an amateur club. So as I said before, there are a lot of local businessmen that spend money for their clubs. And at the same time, they try to give out uh, help, if you like to call it this way, to the players. And that can be a car, that can be um, an apartment for rent. Uh, it can also be electronic devices, can be a, a smartphone contract or a PlayStation or whatever. So um, these ways are, uh, yeah, they're very creative and they make use of everything so that they can attract the players and they can, uh, you know, have a certain appeal on the players because the players talk about this in their community. This is something that we that we also know, and we also encountered a certain well set of a player that is called in German the um, Söldner, so a mercenary that tries to uh, yeah go to the club that pays um, yeah the highest sum of money each year. And even if they could play, let's say the mercenaries, they could play from their sporting level, let's say um, fifth or sixth division. And if they only get paid like 100 euros a month, uh, they don't do it. And they go down uh, to the 8th, ninth, or even 10th division because they can be paid uh, more money there. And this was something that I was really astonished about because uh, this is against everything from what I consider to be sporting interest in something or a competition because uh, this is just, you know, 
uh, playing football for uh, financial reasons. Right. And I mean, there comes another part into play here where you start thinking, well, this sort of cash we're talking about here, that it isn't raised by, you know, selling sausages and beers on, on match days, is it? And as you mentioned, there are sponsors, there are rich men behind that. And what sort of motives do they have to get involved in this sort of thing is one thing. And the other thing is, is German amateur football sort of starting to become, or is it already sort of like, <laughs> Almost like the Premier League, where every team has its own strongman owner. <laughs> well, I don't know about that because, um, to be honest, we are not condemning uh, amateur football as a whole. You're just saying that there are clubs and there are people that pay their players um, under the table, and most of the clubs they try at least to act accordingly to the law, and they struggle with money because of the coronavirus pandemic. German amateur football has a lot of problems to face, but at the same time, there is yeah, illegal stuff happening. So this is another takeaway. But I think the the motive or the, let's say, the reason for why people put money in, in an amateur club is um, basically, yeah, it's reputation laundering because we see that in uh, professional football as well. There you have people like Roman Abramovic, Dietmar Hopp, you've got... Yeah, states like Qatar or, or what else? Um, a lot of a lot of different entities that come into place because they want to use football for their own um, national or personal gain. And um, if you go to a small region in Germany and you maybe are a um, successful businessman, and then um, people come up to you and they ask, "Hey, could you maybe help us? Uh, our club is struggling financially. Or are you able to give us, yeah, some support?" And then yeah, people try to use football for yeah not only let's say humanistic reasons but also for their own personal reputation and i think for me a club is not something that should be dependent of one person only if you are a businessman and you can spend money on a club that's nice but you should not expect to run the club only by giving money to it Yeah, I mean, you interviewed one such businessman, a man by the name of Gerhard Klapp, in, in your documentary, and he said he said outright to you that, I mean, given that I'm spending all this money, I expect that what I say goes, basically. A man who had some, some really rather funny ideas about a lot of things, seemingly. <laughs> But anyways, I mean, given that money is paid under the table, and we're talking about four-digit sums in some cases here, All of this should be, I mean, first of all, it, there should be a contract in place. Second of all, it should be taxed. How much tax money is the German taxpayer not getting by these methods used by some of the clubs in the amateur world? Yeah, this was basically the, the, the most uh, important question that we were asking during the research because we saw that there's... Uh, Enormous sums being paid, and then we try to come up with a, uh, yeah, with a prognosis or something like more concrete that helps us um, getting a grasp on what is really going on. So we try to get help from um, experts in statistics, and they told us, yeah, you can like use your data to uh, compare that to the the whole of German amateur football players, and we specifically focused on male footballers because in, in female football it doesn't happen uh, doesn't happen that much so we 
had sums each month that are being paid going up north of 100 million euros for all these 700,000 male amateur footballers in Germany. So that means in each season, in each year, if you, if you like, in, in football, in German amateur football, more than 1 billion euros is being paid to the players. And this is already a, a lot. And this is one of the most important takeaways from our uh, from our research. So in the next step, we try to come up with a sum only, you know, it's like approximately, it's just not something that we can like have as an exact result, but something that we can, you know, get an impression on what is really going on. So we then compare this sum or put into context with um, the results that we had on the method of payment. And we saw uh, on several criteria that um, approximately um, half of the money is not declared in taxes. So um, let's say around 500 million euros is um, being paid under the table. So that means that you've got at least, let's say, 200, 300 million euros for sure that are being paid under the table in Germany. And of course, if you were uh, to pay this money legally, you'd have to pay 30-40% of taxes. So then you can do your own math and say, okay, in German amateur football, we've got a problem of tax evasion that shows that we have a lot of money that is not being used for the purposes of, you know, delivering um, goods or services for the common good and for our society. And this is, of course, a very, very uh, stark contrast to the image of amateur football that is being painted by um, Dave Bay and others. Right. I mean, even Audi Hoeneß didn't evade taxes to such a big extent on a, on a yearly basis. But I mean, that's one man compared to the entire world of amateur football. Anyways, this all backs the question, what has the DFB known? I mean, you already sort of answered that, saying that, well, they are probably aware of this going on. But then again, what have they known? What have they done? And what could they potentially do against this? Because clearly, this is not in the interest of the DFB that this is going on, mm. you know, basically in full view now. So, um, first of all, it is not a new problem. So, um, people were telling us all over the way that it has been happening for decades in Germany. So, maybe not, uh, you know, with the same amount of money, but um, the practice has been known already. So, um the DFB officials, um, they are aware of it, yes. But when we, you know, after the uh, documentary, contacted uh, politicians and um, people working for tax authorities and people that work for the regional federations uh, in Germany, so not the DFB, but below on, on a, a regional level, so in the Bundesländer, if you like, then they said, yes, uh, we know that this is going on, but all we can do is you know, try to warn the clubs so that they don't make use of this practice. And this is something that is not easy to understand because it is, from my perspective, it is um, the obligation of the Federation to make sure that these practices don't happen. But at the same time, the uh, Federation said, 
there's nothing we can do. All we can do is warn and we cannot go into the clubs and, you know, make an investigation and the clubs cannot show us their their books because uh, it's just not possible for us. This is something that tax authorities have to do. Then, of course, we went to the tax authorities and asked them, hey, listen, um, what do you do against tax evasion in German amateur football? How often do you um, investigate clubs and what do you do? And the answer was, yes, a nice uh, question, a nice idea, but um, we have no official recording and no statistics on what we do regarding the clubs. So basically, everybody was saying, yes, we admire the problem, but we don't have a solution. And I don't know what what will happen next, because as I said before, it is a common practice that has been known for ages. And now we've got a set of data, we've got people talking about it, but I don't see the uh, motivation for the system being changed, because at the end, the clubs profit from it because they can pay more money to the player if they don't pay taxes. And for the players, of course, it's the same. If there's still um, this amount of money being paid in amateur football, then they can travel from club to club or from town to town to, you know, uh, get some money more extra during the month. Right. But, you know, I think an interesting question in regards of what the DFB knows and what the DFB has done is actually looking at cases where the authorities, in some cases, the authorities have actually discovered such practices going on. So when the authorities have gone into the clubs and done what they are supposed to be doing, and the DFB says, well, it's it's a matter for the authorities, they should look at it. Well, the authorities looked at it and found out, well, there was wrongdoing going on. How has the DFB punished that? So uh, first of all, uh, what's important to say here is that DFB has its own problem with um, tax evasion at the very top. <laughs> and there have been investigations uh, against clubs, obviously. Um, and if that happens, then the clubs, they have to pay for it, um, just to put it like that. Because um, if you're a club that um, yeah spends a lot of money for, for players and the authorities um, are aware of it and they come to you and they say, listen, we've heard that there's a problem going on here. It can happen that they have to pay like five digits, you know, and if five digit sums and if you don't have a very powerful and rich businessman or sponsor behind you, then for a club, for a small club in the sixth or seventh division, or uh, even even uh, even higher, it's not possible to pay that because they don't have that kind of money when it comes to, you know, paying their debts and and you know, uh, uh, their sentence for it. So a lot of clubs were going out of business uh, if they um, were sentenced for um, for this practice and. Obviously, it has not been the best example because it still happens. And some of the clubs or uh, some of the people working in these clubs, they just don't know enough about this. This is my my own personal take. So it's not uh, something that I can prove, but it's my feeling Um, because I've talked to a lot of people and these people said, We've been doing this for ages. Uh, why should we change it now? It has never been uh, to our harm or it has never been a problem for us. Why? So why would we change it? And I think this is a, a big problem because it is uh, a behavior that has been you know, you know, in place for a really long time. And if the tax authorities, they don't go and make investigations uh, in the clubs on a regular basis, 
And there is no need to change because they know uh, with a 95 percentage uh, that they are not um, being investigated against. And then, you know, you've got a, um, got a system running that reminds me of other areas in, in, yeah, in Germany or in any other country uh, where you have a black market and where, if you, where you have um, money getting paid under the table. So, for example, you've got the, you've, the same happens in, in restaurants or on construction sites. So, uh, yeah, I don't know who's to blame here. Um, I mean, the tax authorities, they cannot go to every club like every week or every month or even every year because we've got 25,000 clubs. And obviously, um, one of the answers that um, the authorities gave to us was that uh, they focus rather on other areas of commerce or of society or the economy. Uh, so the uh, banking industry, for example, because there's a lot of more money in it. Well, I mean, given that we're talking about, by your numbers, at least a tax evasion and at least around, at the very least, 120 million euros, it's a substantial amount of money. I mean, are there even forces pulling the tax authorities back saying, well, you cannot touch amateur football given the sacred status that it does have? Yeah, there was uh, one insider, one uh, guy who was talking to us anonymously and he's in the documentary as well because he knows the world of football and he knows the world uh, of, of, tech, of the tax authorities because he worked for one of them. So he said there are people that say, listen, we have to go against the clubs because we know that there's um, tax evasion going on in there. But at the same time, there are also people saying that, nah, clubs are um, really important for our society and they have uh, an enormous role to play when it comes to integration or um, children or education or whatever. So, um, you know, there's this discussion going on and I don't know if that is really something that might change in the future because from what I've heard from all the people that I've talked to, it's, you know, also a question of, you know, how much are you able to, to afford and how much effort can you make? Because as I said before, there are 25,000 clubs in, in Germany. And if you have clubs that make use of these illegal practices, then obviously they have to be punished. But if they are punished, um, that means that they maybe have to pay 10, 12, 15,000 euros. So these are not enormous sums. It's not a lot of money. But if you add it up, then you've got like the 100, 200 million euros that you were talking about before. But that is a lot of work and a lot of effort that you have to do to achieve this. So I'm not really sure if that is going to, ch uh, to change. Right, but... What if it were? I mean, German amateur football has sort of an ex special status in terms of taxation law in Germany, right? Because these clubs are considered to be for the common good, mm -hmm. and they pay less taxes than they otherwise would if they weren't to be considered for the common good. I mean, given what you've uncovered, would there be a basis to say that some of these clubs should lose that status and pay more taxes? Yeah, good point. Uh, very good point. And this is something that we had uh, to discuss a couple of years back when uh, also in the Bundesliga, a lot of um, Kapitalgesellschaften were founded. So that means that the clubs um, that we know uh, in Bundesliga right now, they had to um, 
create companies so that they were able to organize yeah, the daily business, which means uh, having a team in, in the Bundesliga. Because for a, um, a club that is for the common good, an e.V. eingetragener Verein, so a club that is registered in the um, Vereinsregister, so in a Yeah, it's a very technical term, but at least it's a law and, you know, they're for the common good, so they have to be registered in there. They are not able to organize a participation in the Bundesliga if they are a club that is for the common good. It's a lot of uh, legal aspects to consider here. I don't want to go um, too much uh, into detail, but for amateur football, at least, it is something that is it's it's good. It's a good idea. It's a good practice to have um, the clubs um, relieved of of paying too much taxes or too many taxes because they are, uh, as I said, a very important factor in education, integration, blah, 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 in society. But if we see that there are illegal practices going on, we have to at least reconsider the notion of what does for the common good mean. And maybe we need to rethink the way in which we organize football in Germany because We have officially three professional leagues, which is obviously nonsense because the Regionalliga, the fourth division, is a league where you have big clubs like Rot-Weiss Essen, for example. Or I mean, it's, it's called Champions League for amateurs for a reason. Yeah. So the spectrum of clubs that have uh, enormous amounts of money for their purposes at hand and small village clubs, if you like, and that division is huge. In, in Bavaria, for example, you've got small village clubs um, that, you know, are not the same as Rot-Weiss Essen, for example. And here the problem starts because this league or this division, for me, in, in the way that it is constructed now, it doesn't make any sense. The Regionalliga Bayern is basically a construct that is completely pointless. Yeah. <laughs> If you look at the Regionalliga Nord, Nord-Ost, you know, the Regionalliga West and then you have the is it called the southeastern division? Southwest, uh, west, yeah. Southwest, uh, yes. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, those are tiers that include like historic big sites, and suddenly you come to Bayern, and it's sort of like, <laughs> here comes tiers for Schalding Halding. <laughs> Who? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the problem starts there, and in, even if you go further down the league pyramid, you've got the fifth division where. Uh, From what we've seen, people are getting paid a lot of money and you have good clubs, clubs that are nearly run professionally with a lot of members, a lot of teams that are playing in action. So, but it's still amateur football. So where do you draw the line? I mean, there is no official line in saying we've got, you know, grassroots amateur football because even fifth Even the fifth division is considered to be grassroots amateur football, which is not true. If you look uh, at England, for example, I don't know, there are five professional divisions, right? Or even more, I don't know. I think conference But, um, is the, the lowest division in England. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not really a big expert on English football, but I think that's the sixth tier, but I yeah. might be wrong. Yes, five. But I mean, from, from what I understood out of your documentary, the decision to draw up contracts as, you know, sort of professionals or semi-professionals and do it legally is entirely up to the clubs and the players, right? So a club in playing in the fifth, sixth, or seventh tier could say, write up a contract and say, well, here you go, you make 900 euros a month, and do it legally, only they would have to pay taxes. Yeah, 
Yeah, they can do that. They are free to do that. So if they have the money and if they have the, you know, the workforce behind it, because it's a lot to organize, it's a lot to write, it's a lot to, to keep all of. So if they're able to do it, they can do it. It's not a problem. Uh, they might end up in the fourth division at one point. I don't know. Or they stay in the fifth division, whatever. But it is possible. And it's even possible to, you know, draw up an official employment contract with players so that means they're working on the 450 euro basis in, in Germany. So this is a, a kind of employment that is possible too. But, you know, it's the DFB who organizes um, the competitions. And if they say, listen, we've got this method of the um, contract for amateur players, the clubs can use it, the players can use it, everybody uh, can be happy. So this is something that we have to... Um, Keep in mind, and this is something that we have to address because there are federations in, in Europe that handle that problem differently. I don't know about the problem in England, but I'm sure that if you have five, six um, professional divisions in your country and in your football federation, then this notion of grassroots football is just completely different. And if you go to the Netherlands, for example, you've got a federation that is trying to Uh, investigate itself. So if they know or if they hear of a club or player that is using um, these illegal methods, then they investigate themselves and they say, listen, if you get caught, you might get relegated or the players um, might get suspended. So there is a possibility to act. But as I said before, I don't see this, um, yeah, this yeah, motivation uh, when I look at the um, different levels of um, yeah, officials or, or organization inside DFB. Yeah, as, as you said, they do have a bit of an own scandal going on when it comes to tax evasion and uh, you know other various business adventures or you know securing of uh, World Cup uh, championships uh, being played in Germany. So um, yeah, and so yeah. just one point to add because you mentioned Uli Hoeneß before. What we also have to think about in Germany as well is the question, how do we value taxes and what does tax evasion even mean? And I know that problems like COMEX or the Wirecard scandal, these are big, big problems and big topics, but it's not tangible for people. You know, it's not easy to understand what COMEX really means for people, but everybody... Yeah, well, <laughs> that's maybe a good question for another podcast. But what I'm trying to say is everybody knows what amateur football is. And no matter where you live, you've got a club in your village or in your town. And you've got tax evasion in there and you had tax evasion going on with Uli Hoeneß. So this guy, he went to prison and he came back and people applauded him. So he was he was a convicted criminal. And, you know, I don't, I, I never understood that. Of course, he made great work at Bayern Munich and he was like one of the most successful managers in, in, in German football, but he was a convicted criminal and he had to go to prison because he was not paying taxes. So if you, you know, talk about Uli Hoeneß now, people tend to forget and people tend to forget that, um, you know, tax evasion is a big, big problem. I don't want to go into details again of COMEX, but it's, like a, a system of professional tax evasion where a lot of people were getting really rich. So maybe look it up on Google there. Clemens Turnius, one of them, yeah, by the way. For example. <laughs> the guy who, famous who <laughs> used to run Schalke with an iron fist. Well, I mean, the, the problem of tax evasion and how it's, you know, regarded within society is, you know, 
a lot of people don't really see the harm in the crime, I think. It's not a violent crime. It's not like you go up to a guy and just punch him in the face, you know, unprovoked. It's not like you actually physically damage somebody. But what people, I guess, fail to see is the fact that if Uli Hoeneß has evaded 20, 30, 40 million euros in taxes, that means that the government or the state of Bavaria has these 20, 30, 40 million euros less to pay nurses, teachers, fire stations. Mm. And it means that, you know, a lot of offers that are there for drug addicts, kids, you know, the weakest links in society, they have to be maybe cut because that money is lacking. So there are real victims, only you don't really see them if you are not able to make that connection in your mind. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And from my perspective, I mean, I'm an employee too, so I have to pay taxes as well. And I don't always like that because <laughs> Who does? You know, everybody, everybody would prefer to have more money on the, uh, your bank account at the end of the month. But if you were to, to, you know, skip all of the taxes, then our society wouldn't work anymore. And, you know, for me, paying taxes should not be a burden. It should be a responsibility. And this is something that clubs have to think about too. I think that's a great note to end this podcast on. Uh, this podcast has been produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Anna, it's been a delight having you back on our show. Uh, tell our listeners where they can find your work and where they can find you on Twitter. They can find me on Twitter at Steinberg underscore Arne. And if they have any questions to the documentary, they can, of course, uh, hit me up with a direct message. They can find the documentary on youtube i guess i think it should not be geo blocked if it is and then let me know and yeah please pay your taxes <laughs> <laughs> please pay your taxes i beg you well uh you can find me nick Viltong, on twitter at no musings you can find the podcast at talking foosball make sure to check out our patreon page where you find loads and loads and loads of extra content right now right now we have a series called scandal about the biggest scandals of german football and well until next time it is goodbye for now